Hello, this is the Layovers Podcast, episode one. Hi, Alex. Episode one, how exciting. Yes, it is exciting. So, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Alex. For the moment, it's just you and me. We hope that we'll get to get some audience at some point. (laughs) (laughs) We've been both running uh, off and on that uh, little blog called layovers.to, two layovers too. Uh, And we thought that, you know, sometimes we don't have time to write anything. So we're like, uh, should we just talk about stuff? Because we keep talking you and me over Facebook Messenger and stuff, exchanging uh, all these airline news. So that was a bit the, the inception of the show. And you, of course, agreed because you love aviation. You have a long history of aviation, right? Yeah, I kind of have it in my blood. In fact, I was talking at a conference, travel conference a couple of days ago, and uh, I warned everybody that when, once you get into travel, that's it. You're done. You, you cannot escape its clutches. Actually, we've done our first uh, flight together uh, not very long ago. Yeah, Warsaw uh, to London. Yeah, Warsaw to London, and uh, we've both seen our quirks. You know, when we travel. Yours is is fun. You actually show the person next to you where the emergency exits are. Yeah, I, I that's my thing, and I actually did it to a friend when we flew out to Dublin over the weekend, saying, you know. Uh, What I'm about to do is going to be extremely embarrassing, but the emergency exits are there, and they're right behind us as well, because if if something happens, I don't want to have to step over your body to get off the airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, so, guys, you'll see how the show is run. We have uh, several uh, segments. We're starting with some uh, news of the week. I'm not going to run through all of them now, because we'll see how uh, how it runs. We're hoping that the show will be around... 20-25 20-25 minutes, it could be a little bit less, a little bit longer. We're also uh, trialing this uh, right now and the format. So talking about Dublin, since you talked about Dublin, the first piece of news that obviously caught my eye this week is the IIG is finally, apparently, will finally buy, uh, buy Aer Lingus. So IIG is a company behind uh, um, British Airways and uh, Iberia. And apparently, you know, it will buy uh, Aer Lingus. You've, have you flown Aer Lingus, Alex? Yeah, in fact, I found out about this story while sitting on an Aer Lingus airplane uh, on Sunday morning, um, so it was kind of uh, kind of appropriate. But yeah, I think it's the fourth bid that they've made, and they, I guess the, the Aer Lingus board have finally said, "Okay, we'll we'll look into taking this further." And apparently, uh, Ryanair is not very happy with that. No, because they've been they've been trying to do the same thing for ages, and I think the main difference is is that BA wants them ostensibly for the Heathrow slots. Yeah, there's 23 landing slots in Heathrow that they have. Which are worth their weight in gold. And uh, Ryanair, I think, want them more for another business opportunity as opposed to the slots. They they see it as a a revenue generator. Yeah, I've never flown Ryanair. I've heard heard good things about them. I've met uh, several uh, key people there uh, in travel conferences as well. Uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, for the you know, the I think the government still has a say uh, on it. It could actually block the Irish government could block the uh, the the sale out of either competition competition rules or and or just simply because it doesn't want to because I think it has a minority share. So we'll see how it goes. But it looks like we're closing in on this one. Yeah, uh, and it, mean, it means that Aer Lingus will rejoin One World as well. They left in 2007, so that that's beneficial, especially since they've got those that growing route to, the, to North America. North America, correct. Next, uh, we're moving from uh, Europe to the Middle East because one of the reasons actually uh, basically uh, British Airways is looking into uh, Aer Lingus is also to compete with Middle Eastern airlines, all these Gulf airlines that are eating their market share, and you have a piece of news about that. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So the the A380, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, has kind of been going through a, a rough patch in terms of orders, and and it's it, to the point where its future as a as a as a model has been questioned. But at Davos, uh, the Emirates CEO Tim Clark came out and said, if you build a re-engined or neo or neo version of the uh, of the A380 Airbus, we will be up for buying 100 right now, um, which has got to have sent Emirates uh, and Airbus sort of panicking in a bit. When I think the Airbus, Airbus were honestly thinking maybe this is the end of the A380. It hasn't. They didn't sell a single A380 in 2014, but then to have this curveball thrown at them, perhaps they're gonna they're gonna be reconsidering it because that's that's an order of about 43 billion dollars. Into Airbus's pockets, um, and I, I think that the reason Emirates are so interested is because just re-engineering it and doing a few air, aerospace uh, tweaks could significantly improve the efficiency of that airplane, which for those guys could again add substantially to their bottom line. Yeah, I, I will not comment too much on this because we, uh, as uh, as you just mentioned, we're going to have a segment where we're going to talk specifically about the A380. But I think it's, uh, I would say, just say this: is that without Emirates, I don't think the A380 program would survive much longer. <laughs> well, and actually, to that, I don't think that uh, Emirates would be able to do their model without the A380. So it's kind of this very symbiotic relationship, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, uh, and a more in a, in a piece of news is a bit more. Um, on the light side, although it's a bankruptcy, is uh, the bankruptcy of SkyMall. I, 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 do you know SkyMall, Alex? Obviously. Yes, I do. I just go, SkyMall is this, was, sadly, this uh, bizarre catalog that was in the back of, of seats on most American airlines that had hundreds, if not thousands, of products that nobody would ever buy but were hilarious. Yeah, hilarious, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before, before, the, before we had, you know... Before we had our, our electronic devices to do something uh, on taxiing and takeoff and, and landing, most of the times we were on a U.S. airline, obviously we would actually read through that and just burst quickly through it. And it was fun because, like you said, it was the most stupid and hilarious objects. It was this, I always remember this kind of alien that you could put a glass of whiskey on it and that would just look so great in your living room. Or there was this uh, huge statue of uh, some Egyptian, you know, Found God or something. I mean, these kind of things that you think, why would I even think about buying this in a normal life, but even less so in a plane? But, you know, it was a pretty big business, actually. They say that the, uh, one single page was uh, worth like more than 100K in terms of US dollars. This is, it was a pretty big business. Do you think they suffered because of the electronic devices? There, you know, my initial feeling was yes, but then uh, there was an article that Dan Lyons wrote on Valleywag, the the Silicon Valley tabloid, um, that dug into the ownership structure a little bit of of uh, SkyMall and uncovered some pretty interesting stuff about how they they SkyMall were a hundred and thirty million dollar a year company and they merged with a nine million dollar a year company, but the nine million dollar company got sixty percent of the new business and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder like. You know, a, a great kind of business fiction book. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure what happened. I think we're going to be hearing about this story for for a few months to come. Yeah. Plus, uh, I, there was this other article. I don't have it in front of me that said that actually airlines will save fuel. 
uh, just very just by the weight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the weight of this stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, still still talking about uh, American Airlines, but this time the company. There was this comment that we both picked up on that was quite uh, distressing, right? Yeah, and I feel I kind of feel bad for Doug Parker, uh, the the CEO of the, of the newly merged American Airlines, because he said he was quoted as saying, "We're not asking our customers to be happy with anything." And I think <laughs> I think it was out of context, of and I, you could see his face kind of crumple as soon as he said it, because he knew it was going to be taken out of context. But I think it does it does uh, reveal an underlying um, internal philosophy at American Airlines of we can paper over poor customer experience by investing in physical product which is what he went on to say that they're investing two billion dollars in in-flight product and lounges and airport experience but what uh, what this article and basically everybody else who's reacted to this article has said is yeah but the the experience of an American on American Airlines and with US Airways prior to the merge was so substandard that you could invest double that in the physical product and you still would not be a good airline. Um, so I, I'm sure he wishes he could take those words back, uh, but I I still think he's a little bit delusional about the size of the task he has in front of him. Yeah, you, you're probably probably right. Probably right. Uh, I mean, of course. Uh... PR department was very quickly pointing out that it was obviously <laughs> taken out of, of context. But uh, I mean, it's tongue in cheek. Uh, by the way, uh, for those who are listening to us, we're not here to actually bash airlines. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can criticize about airlines, and we have our share uh, of criticism that we will sometimes give. But do not expect us to bash airlines all the time here, because that's not the point of this show, right? Yeah, no, it's it's too easy. I think I think uh, I think it's you know with American Airlines it was a difficult one. The, the real, the legitimate criticism came uh, kind of tangentially to his comment, which is with oil so low, the question to, to Doug Parker was with oil so low, um, why aren't your fares dropping? And that's where this, this classic line came out. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a good question by the, by the, um, the analyst, and uh, I'm sure he wishes he could redo his answer. Yeah, talking about bashing an airline, I know there's some irony in the next piece of news I'm going to share about. Uh, it's uh, again Malaysia Air. So the poor, the poor Malaysian Air have been having quite a bad, you know, 12 to 18 months with you know planes that disappeared and crashed and etc. And the latest uh, thing that happened was that their uh, their old website was hacked. The the reason I'm mentioning it is not because I want to actually. A finger point uh, Malaysian Air, but it's more because uh, I think that hacking, we've heard all our stories about hacking, whether it's uh, loyalty cards and uh, credit cards numbers, will it is a problem that would actually grow uh, more and more. And the reason I'm, I wanted to point that out is because that allows me to introduce as well at the next segment of the show. Uh, there's no real title for it. I mean, uh, we like to call it Air Tech, but basically what we want to do here is to have a little bit more of a view uh, on, on innovation in, in the airline industry, more consumer focused, although that sometimes also implies some stuff that happens behind the scenes. We're not here to actually talk about the big aeronautics and uh, the more complicated parts of innovation, though we could at some point do it as well. Uh, and I wanted as a piece of trivia to, to show to show those who, uh, who try to make the connection here, uh, those Frequent flyers probably know, and you know, Alex, the, the website called uh, flyertalk.com. It's a built-in board. It's a forum when you can talk about everything and nothing, find good deals, find how to hack 
price tickets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's this uh, uh, post that was made in October in um, uh, May 2009, and I'm just going to read it out. I hate shameless self-promotion, but I couldn't resist posting here because I wrote this app with people like us in mind, those who travel a lot. Ever since I semi-retired a little over a year ago, I've been traveling a lot, and I hated I hated it when people try to reach me when I'm on the plane in, or out of the country. So I asked myself, wouldn't it be cool if I just set a status for my iPhone, similar to how you can set a status on Yahoo Messenger or Skype? Pro problem found, problem solved. So I spent a couple of months uh, and developed a little tool called WhatsApp. And the rest is obviously <laughs> history. <laughs> so that's actually John Coombe. The, 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 Holy, the, what a great find. Yeah, he's uh, he actually even he actually even put his the, the number he was in in Japan on that post. I'll have it linked in the show notes afterwards on the website. But I mean, it's pretty cool to find that you know uh, this the, the reason is that AirTech is not only about talking you know about technologies that are clearly catered to uh, air travelers, but to see that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, including WhatsApp, which obviously now is, has become this huge messaging app as, as roots into someone who just like fly and, uh, and, and, and try to just solve a, a problem. Uh, by the way, it's, if you just look at his profile, it doesn't post much, but you can see that he still to this day looks for deals, how to redeem his miles, etc., etc. And in, uh, so, so that's pretty cool, actually. I like that trivia. Wow, that, that is cool. Yeah, he, and Flyer Talk is just an extraordinary collection of people as well. I mean, if you if you want to nerd out over frequent flyer stuff, um, but also get some extraordinarily good advice on redemption, uh, accrual, tier points, etc., um, you will not find a better resource for that type of thing. Um, it's 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 well worth getting involved in those those discussions. Yeah, and and there's a post from him on the same thread on. 2013, September, he says, oh, I was looking at this forum for something else, trying to use my miles and more miles. <laughs> and yeah. I remember it posted, I posted a thread four years ago. So, it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's a, you can feel like you said, you can find pretty uh, interesting people. So then um, it's not only about tech, it's all about the entire experience, and you wanted to share something about that part of the experience, Alex. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cathay Pacific. I have been for basically as long as I've been alive. Um, I think they've got a great product, and they've just they've just been doing this sort of very slow evolutionary rebrand. First came a uh, a new logo, or sort of slightly mo uh, modernized uh, logo, um, and now they've just launched this new tagline and campaign called "Life Well Traveled." And the reason I like it is because normal airline marketing campaigns are very cyclical. You can tell exactly where an airline is in their life cycle. Um, by what they choose to focus on in their advertising. So if they've redone their interiors, it's very in, it's very in-flight product focus. If they can't compete on that, then it's route and frequency uh, reach. And if they can't compete on that, then it's price. So you can very quickly ascertain where they are in their in their thinking. But Cathay's been a lot more subtle with this new campaign. It's very very Apple. It's very people oriented. It's very uh, sort of creative friendly, very family friendly. It's, it's very impressive and very well done and I think the final step in this huge product which is being done by McCann so they're not messing around is going to be a, a livery update which I'm extremely excited to see. The, the current one is ooh, getting on 25 years old. Doesn't look it which is a testament to the, to the livery but uh, 
I think they've done a great job. It's well worth exploring. They've got some wonderful videos and a great microsite. Uh, I, I will mention at this point that over time, people, the audience, will kind of pick up on which airlines we have up this for. <laughs> and I know yeah. you have one for Cafe. I do, I I've do. Never, I've never flown them, uh, believe you What? So, no, never. So I will do that one day. I'll oh, they're outstanding. I, I think uh, it goes, I should say, disclaimer, they have at some point in the last 20 years employed every single member of my family, including <laughs> me. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean any, well, it does mean a lot. But uh, I also think that they do extremely good work. It's true. Uh, staying in Asia, uh, very quickly, a piece of news that I've read the other day on a, on a marketing, also a branding side, is uh, there's a low-cost airline called uh, Vietjet in Vietnam. And interestingly, they've just struck a deal with a consulting deal with Google. Uh, and it's I find it very interesting because, uh, so we know that Google bought uh, ITA, so they actually... Uh, they're not really pushing that the, this far yet. I mean, you can go on google.com slash flight and have a very, very decent, even more than decent um, uh, booking website, I mean, to, for, to find uh, ticket pricing. But uh, the fact that they will actually, they're actually having struck a consulting deal is interesting because it will actually not only help uh, these low-cost airlines with uh, digital solutions, but also kind of understand the consumer behavior, how they, con uh, how they behave on mobile, what kind of uh, uh, solutions they should find on mobile apps, etc. So I, I find this is very interesting because it shows that there's a, a, a blurring of the lines in the industry between a lot of the actors, and Google is a new one in that. It, it, it makes total sense as well. I mean, who would, as you say, with the acquisition of ITA, which is a big, uh, a big travel infrastructure company, um, it makes total sense. And Google are good at um, exposing you to the intricacies of their product at a corporate level, bringing, bringing you in. We, I, I remember in, in past lives going in to meet with them and, and learning a whole lot about the products and how to use them. But this, as you say, I, I haven't heard anybody shout very loudly about engaging in a consulting agreement with Google. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see if other people pick up on this and, and, and take, uh, take similar engagements with them. Yeah. You? So yeah, no. This so again uh, with the branding and delivery stuff, which is which is always going to be my jam. Um, a a, re, a rebranding and a re and a relivering uh, for an airline is quite a momentous thing because that they don't happen very often, and when they do, it's it's usually in stark contrast to what was there before. Um, and Eurowings, who are a germ, uh, Lufthansa subsidiary, have launched a a new livery, and it's nice. It's fresh. The aim of it was to bring it in line with German Wings, who are another Lufthansa subsidiary. And as the folks over at Design Air, the, the wonderful uh, travel blog, point out, it, it's a nod in the same direction, but there are so many inconsistencies between the two that it looks like it could actually just be coincidental. Um, and I think the more and more you see these, these, uh, these new liveries come out, the more this is going to cause a problem and I think Lufthansa have enough problems of their own and enough distractions that this one might have slipped under the radar um, and I'm not, I, frankly I'm not 100% sure they know exactly what they're doing with with German wings and, and Euro wings and, and if the consumer knows what the difference is between the product offerings so it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out as well but as a pure design play I like it I'd be interested yeah, to hear really what cool. you guys I think like as well. Yeah, yeah it's true uh, talking about apps, uh, uh, since I mentioned an app before, uh, this uh, this is not a 
breaking news. It's not also something that will change your life, but uh, I just picked my interest. There's an app that just was really just called Am I, Am I Going Down? <laughs> it's just <laughs> awesome. morbid. It's uh, basically, uh, I've downloaded it. It's pretty fun. I'm pretty, pretty sure I'm never going to use it again, but uh, you put the routes you're going to take. Uh, it kind of gives you the plane, uh, the aircraft models, so let's say 744, and according to the, you know, some uh, historical data, both on the aircraft and on the airline, it will tell you what are the chances you are going to crash, or <laughs> when, when in this most likelihood of the next crash happening, it got yesterday when I tried it, I got like more than six thousand years, so you know, I, I think I'm pretty sure. Any, anyway, you know, it's just probabilities. I, I uh, there's a you you know there's still a lot of people that are afraid to fly. I'm not sure it's solving their problem, but it caught my eye because it was a bit quirky. Uh, but moving to the app, that's the, the other part. Another new part of the show is the app of the week. And we decided to start with a bank. It's an app that actually Alex introduced me to a few weeks ago, and I'm totally hooked. It, yeah, this app is it's not new, um, but it is. Utterly addictive. If you even have the slightest inkling of, of aviation geekery, uh, it's called Plane Finder. Uh, you can get it on PlaneFinder.net. It's it's a mobile and desktop and web app. And I'm sure that you've all seen those apps that show you all the planes that are flying around you. Um, this is one of those, but it has several layers that make it so unique and so compelling. Um, the first being that it, a lot of the data is crowdsourced, so the coverage is just phenomenal. But the couple of things I like are you can you can tap an airplane and it will give you um, some basic information about uh, carrier and uh, flight number and route. But then you can get into some really really detailed information like you know speed and altitude and airports and then um, where it's it's coming from, where it's coming to, how old the airplane is, when its first flight was, what what its home airport is. The history. Um, I love the history part. So you know that this plane used to belong to this or that airline before, and that's yep. actually fascinating. It is fascinating, and I think when when it was delivered, when its first flight was, um, and you can actually replay parts of a day going back a week. So you can go, ah, oh, that plane over that flew over was so weird. I wonder what it was. I know it was about four o'clock on Thursday afternoon. You can go back and replay all of the air traffic, which is staggering. But one of my favorite parts is they have an augmented reality yeah. feature where you look at a plane flying, you know, 4,000 feet to 40,000 feet above you. You point the your your phone at the plane, and sh there's all the information about the plane. It is so much fun. I love this app. I think these guys do just such a phenomenal job, and I, I I encourage you all to go and grab it right now. Yeah, I, I used to I used to play a lot with a flight flight radar 24. They also have an app, and it's very similar. But I find, especially in iPhone, both Alex and I are iPhone users, that uh, Plane Finder is better designed as more information as well. Uh, I actually like the filtering, the way it's done. Uh, it also exists on Flight Radar 24. And I'm actually tracking uh, the A350. There's ah. basically one single A350 flying from Qatar Airways. Right now, it's landing uh, in 10 minutes in Frankfurt from from Doha, and uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's really fun. And for me, I live exactly on the pathway of one of the pathways uh, from uh, landing pathways from uh, yeah, London Heathrow. So the augmented reality is pretty cool because I can yeah. basically have a uh, have a plane every uh, minute and a half and see which one it is. Now it's a really cool app. I I, I really. Uh, 
would uh, uh, tell everybody to download and try it because it's really fun. Yeah, it's a great app. Definitely recommended it. Uh, so now talking, we mentioned we mentioned uh, the A380 and uh, in the introduction of this show, uh, this is the topic we wanted to talk a little bit more about today. So the Century 80, we, we just said that you know, so um, Emirates has a huge order of A uh, of A380. They received their 50th one a few months ago. They're on track to have more than 100. Uh, you mentioned uh, the fact that uh, uh, so basically the story was that. At some point, uh, uh, two, I think it was two months ago, and you've wrote about it, Alex, on, on layovers, uh, Airbus kind of, there was a, it was not a, 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 an official comment, but there was this thing that, oh, we might kill the program, which apparently it's rumored to have angered Emirates uh, very strongly, so then the, uh, Airbus completely backtracked in that, you know, they have a big trust in the program, and they will actually be looking at other avenues, one of which was the one you mentioned, having A380 Neo, which is basically uh, uh, an A380 with new engines and uh, a, a few adjustments. Uh, so, do you think the A380 has a future? Actually, I, I think it's worrying uh, that the in 2014 there were no orders for that. But I, I don't think that's symptomatic of purely the A380. I think it's just VLJ, very large jets in general. Yeah. There were. Uh, hardly any orders, if any, for the 747-800, which has just really failed to do anything um, outside of the cargo world. I think Lufthansa... Lufthansa has 12. That's one of the other <laughs> other aircraft I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with uh, with PlaneFinder that we just mentioned. Yeah, they have, I think, 12, uh, 12 of them, and that's about it. It's, it's, the A3 is such a strange airplane um, because... Emirates themselves have said they see the active lifespan of an A380 as 10 years before they park it in the desert. That almost, in terms of an airline, airliner's life, that makes it almost disposable. Um, and there's been some a lot of analysis on the uh, the second-hand market, if you will, for A380s, and it doesn't look like it's there to the same extent that the uh, that the 747 was, uh, which has gone on for decades as a as a second, third, fourth probably even fifth-hand airplane, but the market doesn't seem there for the A380. Etihad have come out publicly and said, we have no intention of ever in ordering any more A380s. Yep. So I think... Yeah, Japan doesn't have any. Asia has a few. I think it's um, one of the uh, South Korean airways, which I don't remember which one of the, of the two are, uh, has, has a few, but that's yeah, about it. Not, not a single American airline has one, right? No. Uh, so it's, it's... And I think... If I was this, there was the CFO who came out and made that comment that uh, they're considering killing it. If you if you're hedging the existence of of an entire production line on one carrier, uh, Emirates, who have made some strange comments about their commitment to the program in the first place, you can start to put two and two together and say, yeah, is this is this financially viable anymore when the A350 and and other uh, two-engine, more efficient airplanes are... Yeah, I was about to mention that. Sorry to interrupt you, but uh, that's that's the thing, that that both the 747 and the A380 share is having four engines, and the more we look at it, if you look around you, that the, the two-engine uh, airplanes are, seem to be the way forward, and isn't that one of the problems of the A380? Yeah, I, th I think it is. I think that there's, a, there's a, um, an efficiency thing there. That's why they... Uh, the uh, the Avro, the RJ, the four beautiful high high winged four engine regional jet never was hugely popular because every other regional jet had two engines and this 
this was a gas-guzzling four-engine airplane for very short ups and downs. So it you know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Airbus have already sunk twenty-five billion dollars into the Airbus line, and it it hasn't turned a profit yet. So would know, it would it ever turn a profit? That's, well, the, other that's the thing. I, you know, I, they're going to have to if they want to do the NEO and, or even a re-engineing, which Emirates have said. Uh, perhaps indirectly, that a re-engineering wouldn't be good enough. It would have to be reconfigured as well. That's that's tens of billions of dollars in additional cost there. But it, it, it's a strange time for Airbus when they've when the A319 2021 line are doing so well. Uh, the A350 has seen proven to be extremely popular early on. Um, I, I fear for the for the end. I think in, in about ten years we're going to see deserts full of A380s. Yeah, actually, I, I mean, because you know, even if they do like a neo version, at the end of the day, it's not a new aircraft. And if you look at the uh, even the 787s, so the Dreamliner, the new versions of the 77X, um, uh, or even the A3, the A350 that we both mentioned. I mean, they're technologically totally different already, and this is, you cannot just re-engine an Air 380 and say, and compete with that, even putting aside the size of the plane and the capacity issues, it's like, it's still, it's already not obsolete, but not a state-of-the-art airplane anymore. No, no, you're right, and I think it's, the, the challenge is, do you try and do evolutionary steps to keep up? When when you when you have no orders, in fact, there's a there's a leasing company that have 20, 20 air A380s. They own twenty, and they cannot find anybody to buy them. There are the completed Skymark ones, uh, which you know Skymark yeah. in Japan who pulled out of the yeah, deal. Out, yeah. Can't find anybody to buy those either. Um, and with the market going in the opposite direction, you would have to be either very foolish or very gutsy to say. Okay, let's let's re-engine based on a commitment from one airline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah at the end of the day, that, that same airline also uh, has a huge commitment of the 777. If you look yes, at the yeah. new extended versions of the 777, of course it doesn't carry as many passengers as the A380, but it's not that far. I mean, it's not as if you know there's a huge difference between a A380 and uh, the one of the maximum capacity 777. So I mean, it, and the 777 is a Two engine, or two engine, right? yeah, better range, better markedly better economics, and I think that the thing that the A380 lacks is a secondary cargo market. Yeah, that's yeah. what say that's what extended the the 747 life by decades was this efficient cargo conversion. I don't think anybody uses the A380 as a cargo plane. No, I don't think so. I've, I haven't looked, but I don't think so. I think it's the, I think the empty weight is too heavy for it to be viable as a cargo plane. So. Boy, it's such a shame because it was such a spectacular airplane, but I don't think it's going to have the longevity of, of some of its brothers and sisters. Yeah, I, and yeah, because I, I have a very soft spot for that airplane. I've flown it the first time maybe, I don't know, three, four years ago with Emirates. Uh, people realize I have also a fondness for Emirates. <laughs> I've been flying with them for a long time. So obviously, it's a pretty amazing plane. I mean, I love being in it as well. So it's... Uh, we're not here to bash you 3D. We're a bit both sad. I mean, we're, let's let's put it that way. We're both sad with any air, aircraft actually. Oh, so the market. Alex and I have very huge fondness for the 747. So obviously that's the one where I'm kind of disappointed that he has no traction anymore. I'm still hoping to fly the the eight version in, at Lufthansa, but 
it's it's a bit sad. I mean, I, I mean, it's still gonna linger for 10, 15 years because Emirates has its commitments. There are still um, A380s being delivered, and that will be delivered in the next 12 months. Then, I don't know, honestly. I think I think the only thing that has changed this conversation a little bit is that if, is oil price. Yeah. So there may be people who are hedging on this sub fifty dollar barrel oil price and going, well, actually, you know what? We we need capacity. The costs have, have basically been cut in half from a fuel perspective. Maybe the A three eighty is is uh, is worth relooking at. But uh, will there be enough of those people? To sustain the line, I, I don't know. I think only time will tell. Yeah, only time will tell. I mean, it, it would help solve a bit of the capacity issues at Ethro, though. Though, I mean, the A380 needs also. There's a big. Uh, you need a longer waiting period before uh, another plane can um, um, land or uh, take off uh, because of the turbulences. So I'm not even sure that's actually the answer. But again. I would hope that it stays alive because it's a it's a bizarre looking plane. Let's be honest; it takes time to get. <laughs> it's not an attractive it. plane in the classical but, sense of the word. Yeah, but. but it's actually pretty amazing, and it's so smooth inside. Yes, it's and quiet. Quiet. Yeah, I I remember this story when I had a, I was flying with Emirates actually, and some of the crew were telling me the attendants were telling me it was a, twelve hour flight or something. The attendants were telling me that, they had to be very careful. Uh, the, when they were talking in the night time, in the supposed night time, uh, in the galleys, because the, usually in any plane, if you have anyone talking, uh, even like five seats in front of you, you cannot hear him. Or her. But in that in that plane, if someone in the galley is having a conversation, a normal tone of voice, you might actually hear them in in the cabin, which is which they had to be careful. Even closing all you know all the equipment, they have to do it very slowly during the night because they don't want to bother anyone. So amazing, amazing, amazing plane. Uh, talking about since we are moving on, unless you had anything else you wanted to add about the A380. No, I think it's going to be an interesting story to to follow throughout the life of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the, the the next segment is a bit of the question of the week or, the, or trivia of the week. At, at some point, we would like to have a member of the audience actually asking us a question, and we try to answer it every every week. Uh, but of course, since it's the first episode, we ask ourselves <laughs> a first uh, a first um, a first question. The question is, who's the uh, actually the biggest? What, what is the biggest airport in the world? Uh, so there's many definitions of what is the biggest airport in the world. Is it the number of passengers? Is the number of the size of the airport? Is the number of runways? So for you, Alex, what is the biggest airport in the world? Well, uh, for me, without question, every time I go to Frankfurt Airport, it's usually on a uh, on a layover, huh? um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm on an RJ or I'm on a on a E170 or something like that, and so you're parked out. You know, basically in downtown Frankfurt, and they stick you on a bus to go into the terminal, and it seems to take forever to either uh, to, to to get on the bus or to taxi out to the active. And I, I thought this is the biggest airport I've ever been to. Maybe Charles de Gaulle in Paris with some of their taxi times. Um, so that that was kind of always the way I felt. And then there's this, uh, there was this article that ran uh, in the uh, Economist a few weeks ago, and there's this fascinating chart um, infographic that we'll share as well on the web on the website. So for them, in terms of area, in terms of the size of the airport, Denver is apparently the biggest. It's uh, not even a competition, is it? 
<laughs> it said they say here that it has uh, a little bit above 50 million passengers a year. Uh, to be let's yeah, it's a little caveat. Uh, there are two ways of actually counting passengers. I mean, there's many actually ways of counting passengers, but if you see, if you look on the web, you'll find some people that only mentioned uh, international passengers, some that only mentioned domestic, some that kind of do both, and mm -hmm. then you have also the transit passengers that are sometimes hard to count, so how do you count that? But basically, so in terms of area, Denver apparently is is big. I'm, I think, though, and it's not in this infographic, that one of the, also the one that is huge in terms of area is King Fahd, which is in Saudi Arabia. It mm. has barely, I think, 10 million passengers a year. But I think, of course, you have room. It's, uh, it's, have you ever been to Denver, to that airport? No. No, but I haven't. Because it's, it looks like just staggering. And there's, well, I, I think, think there's like, I think six runways that are they're expanding to apparently 10 runways. I mean, this is just insane. It, it is insane. And I think, I mean, to give you the, to, some context, the Frankfurt, which I thought was the uh, was the biggest that I'd ever been to, is 21 square kilometers. Yeah. Uh, Denver is 135 square kilometers. Um, but the, I think what's so, th this article is is beautifully done. Um, so Frankfurt, 21 square kilometers. Denver, 135 square kilometers. Frankfurt has more annual passengers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, and I think what they say here is that per square kilometer. London, it's not even a competition, so 12 and a half square kilometers, so nearly half the size of Frankfurt, but 72.4 million passengers. Which is insane. I mean, when you think it about is it, the capacity at Heathrow, I mean, we know we both live in London, and we know that this uh, there's a huge debate, and this is something we're going to talk about in a forthcoming episode. There's a huge debate about how to deal with the capacity issues in London, especially at Heathrow. Uh, should they add a second runway to uh, to Gatwick or a third runway to Heathrow and or expand a runway and do it, have it dual and et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, if you just look at a number, it's true. It's completely insane. Uh, the, though in terms of international passengers, I think, I think that Dubai has just overtaken London as the biggest, in terms of international passengers, the biggest airport yeah. in the world. Yeah, so. I think I, th I heard a statistic uh, which... I didn't. I'm sure you knew this, but I didn't know this. That the new Terminal Three in Dubai is the biggest building on Earth in terms of square footage. Wow! No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, extraordinary. I, to be honest, the, the, sometimes the walks have to take in that one. Yeah, I kind of figured it must have been very, very, very. <laughs> it's a good workout if you if you uh, if you're in Dubai on a layover and you got some time and you need to yeah, work. Yeah, just walk the, between the terminals. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm used to it, but before it was like, oh, I'm sure the gate is only like five minutes away. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, uh, and to finish, we name uh, so every week we're going to name the show after an airport. Uh, there's no actual reason behind it, just because we find quirky. We like the three letters, the IATA a way of actually describing an airport. This is what you see, for those who are not as heavy travelers, this is what you see on your uh, baggage tag or on your flight uh, boarding pass. So LHR, London Heathrow, that's our first airport. A piece of trivia uh, or a device for those flying to uh, Heathrow, Alex? Yeah, so... the. I, I think we both go to, to Heathrow a lot more than we would want to, but uh, the tip that I always give people who are traveling to or from Heathrow is you will often be recommended to take the Heathrow Express train service, and I would recommend that you do not take the Heathrow Express. I agree. You take, you take its cousin, the Heathrow Connect. 
the Heathrow Express is is fast. It, it uh, it's about 15 minutes, but it is uh, extremely expensive, about 20, 22, 23 pounds. For about five minutes longer, the Heathrow Connect, which goes from the same station, Paddington Station, uh, is about seven pounds. So it's much cheaper, almost as fast uh, alternative to the extremely expensive uh, Heathrow Express. So take the Heathrow Connect. And what I do, although it also uh, also suits me in terms of destination, it's uh, longer, but the Piccadilly line, which is the underground, so the tube, is always another way to go uh, to London. You can uh, go to pretty good stations from the, from uh, London Heathrow, and it, it will take you around, let's, let's put it 45 to 60 minutes, depending on where you want to arrive in central London, but it's very cheap. And, very cheap. Uh, yeah, it's very cheap, and I don't, I don't know if it's because it's uh, not that many people do it, but for some reason uh, it's almost always uh, near empty, so you can always find a seat and have a very nice uh, way uh, into uh, London. Yeah, and those trains are specifically designed for the airport run, so they have space for luggage as well. Exactly, exactly. And on that, uh, that was the first episode of Layover. So we apologize. You know, we're still running at trials. We'll see how it goes. I hope you liked it. I hope you liked it, uh, Alex. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna put that all the the show notes on uh, the website layovers.to. Uh, you'll ha you'll have all the information necessary and. Uh, this show will always will also be on iTunes. Uh, give me a few days to make that work, and uh, I hope you will connect with us uh, next week. Yes, yeah, subscribe, uh, follow us on, on Twitter, and uh, if you ever have a burning uh, travel or aviation question that you've always wanted to know the answer to, let us know, and we'll we'll uh, endeavor to answer it in the next episodes. Exactly, and on that, thank you, Alex. Bye bye. Right, guys, take week. care. Good bed. <laughs>